Well, good morning. I want to say a welcome to all of those who are watching by television, those who are watching online, those who are at our other campuses, those who are here at Sugarloaf. We're really glad that you joined us today. Appreciate you being here. You know, back through the history of mankind, only six types of questions have ever been asked by anyone, anywhere, in any language since the beginning of time. No one's ever come up with a seventh type of question. And when you ask these questions about any topic, you've really asked every question there is to be asked. There are no more questions you can come up with. And the questions are, who, what, when, where, why, how. Those are the questions. Now, these questions may appear to be equal in importance, but they're not. Because of all of those questions, there's one question that is the most important question. And I'm not the one that came up with that idea. Actually, the great philosopher Aristotle pointed out to his students which one of those questions is the most important. Aristotle said, suppose a student says, what is the most important question? Because if you figure out what to do, everything else will fall into place. Aristotle replied, why is what the most important question? Because someone else might confidently state, who is the most important question? If you get the right person doing the right thing with the right people at the right time, everything else will succeed. But if you have the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong position in the wrong time, everything will fail. Aristotle then replied, but yes, but why is the who the most important question? And around and around the questions would go until finally Aristotle's students would figure out that of all those questions, the most important question is why? I mean, almost without exception, why sits behind every other question. Now, if you don't believe that, have children. Because you know the very first question little ch children learn to ask, right? Why? You, you need to eat your vegetables to be strong. Why? You, you need to make up your bed. Why? You need to take a nap. Why? It's always why? That's the number one question kids ask. You know, there's an old saying that the person who knows how will always have a job, but the person who knows why will always be the boss. And that's true. You know, why is the most important question? USA Today recently conducted a survey, and they asked this. They said, if you could ask one question of God and get a direct and clear answer, what would you ask him? Great, great question. If you could ask God one question and get a clear and direct answer, what would you ask him? The number one response, as a matter of fact, it was so far ahead of all the other responses, you couldn't even find number two. The number one response was this. They would ask God, why am I here on earth? Why am I here on earth? Came in at a two to one ratio over the second response. I was reading the other day, there are really two great moments in a person's life. There's the, the, the moment when you're born. That's a great moment. I think we'd all agree with that, right? But then there's another great moment, and that is when the light goes on and you finally discover why you were born, why I'm here on this planet. I remember my freshman year in college, I took a course in philosophy. It was an introduction to philosophy. And at the beginning of the class, my professor got up and he said, who, by the way, was an atheist, my professor got up and he said, the one question everyone in this room needs to wrestle with and answer 
before you die is this question. Why are you here instead of not here? Nobody said you had to be here. There's no law that in the universe that says, oh, yeah, you had to be here. The world could not exist. You didn't have to be here. So he said, the question is, why are you here instead of not here? Well, we're actually in a series that we're calling What in the World, as in What in the World Does God Want from Me? Now, let me tell you why God's got to be brought into the picture. Let me tell you why I am convinced you can never answer the why question without God. Very simple. Let's just assume, as we're being told today by many, we're just an evolutionary accident. We're just here by pure chance. If that is true, then you will never, ever be able to answer the why question. If you're just here as an evolutionary accident, you're just here by just the, the luck of the draw, by the pulling of the lot, just by absolute raw chance, you will never, ever really know why you are here. You can guess why you're here. You can have an opinion as to why you're here. Other people might tell you why they think you're here, but you'll never, ever really know why you are here. However, if you're here by divine appointment, if you were created for a divine purpose, then the wonderful truth about that is you can know why you're here. However, only the God that put you here can answer that question. And so today, we're going to be finding the ultimate and the true answer to that question, why am I here? Now, here's the good news. The answer is the same for everybody. We're all, we've all been put here for the same purpose. We've all been put here for exactly the same reason. And as a matter of fact, the things we've already discovered in this series and the things we've already talked about uh, actually gives us a clue as to what the answer is to that question. Now, if you've been missing out or you've not been here for a while or this is your first time, let me just kind of go back by way of review. We said so far that there are three things that God wants from everybody. Three things God wants from all of us, okay? Who can tell me what the first one is? Faith, all right? The first one is faith, okay? God says, I want you to believe me. You can't even have a relationship with God if you don't believe there is a God and believe that that God wants to have a relationship with you, all right? Somebody tell me, what's the second thing God wants? Love, all right? God wants love. Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all the commandments you'll ever find in the Bible is we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, all right? What's the third thing that God wants? God wants obedience, okay? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, this is how this works. When you give God your faith, and you give God your love, and you give God your obedience, you will then naturally give God the last thing God wants from all of us, and that is, say that word, glory. That's the last thing God wants from us. He wants glory. So God says when you come to him, believe me, love me, obey me, and when you do, you will glorify me. So our my primary reason for being here on this planet is to glorify God. By the way, pop quiz. Why did Jesus come to planet Earth? Now, if you've been coming to church for a while, you kind of got that, you know, kind of got that Rolodex answer. Well, I know why Jesus came to Earth. He came to die for our sins on the cross. He died to save us from our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. Okay, you've heard that a million times. However, remember, there's always a why behind the question. So the question is, you're right, Jesus came to planet Earth to die on a cross 
to save us from our sins, to forgive us so that we can have a relationship with God. Question. But why did he do that? Well, he tells us. In a gospel called John, chapter 17, verse 4. We don't need to turn to it. We're going to go somewhere else. But in John 17, 4, listen to what Jesus says. He said, I have brought you, talking to his heavenly Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, I'm going to tell you something you have probably never heard before. Jesus did not come primarily for us. He came primarily for him. He didn't come primarily for what he would do for us. He came primarily for what he could do for his heavenly father. Oh, yes, he did come to bring salvation to us, but why did he do that? Because ultimately his number one motivation when he left earth, heaven and came to earth was not to save us. His number one motivation was, I want to bring glory to my heavenly father. So the main reason that God sent Jesus to earth is the same reason that God put us on earth. Listen, the same reason that God sent Jesus to earth is the same reason that God put us on earth, and that is to glorify him. There was a man by the name of Paul who discovered his why on the road to Damascus. And it was on that road to Damascus that he gave God the first thing he wanted. He gave God his faith. And then he gave God his love. And then he gave God his obedience. And then he was writing a letter to a church in a place called Corinth. I've been there. I've been to Corinth. And he wrote a letter to a church called Corinth. And in that letter, he makes an incredible statement that tells us what we really need to know about this last thing that God wants us to give him. So if you brought a copy of God's Word and want to find along or go along with us or you have a, or, you know, whatever you want to use, we're going to be in a book called 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's about six books over from the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, just right in there, just right, right past the first four Gospels, you'll find 1 Corinthians 10. Now, before I tell you what the verse is, I believe Paul, he was writing this letter, and I believe Paul actually had in mind this long list of things he was going to tell this Corinthian church on all the things they ought to do and need to do to glorify God. And I think he just kind of stopped and said, wait a minute, let me just put it all in, a, in one basket. Let me just kind of put it all in one sentence. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's what he says. So whether you eat or drink, because everybody eats and everybody drinks, we know that. And then he says, let's just kind of wrap it all up. Or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. Now I want you to let those words sink in. Just let those words sink in. Do you understand the impact that would have on your life every day if you really believed that and started living that way? I mean, do you understand the impact that could have on the way you live? If that verse is true, then that, because here's what that means. All of a sudden you go, wait a minute. If everything I do, whether I eat, whether I drink, whatever I do, if it's all for the glory of God, then guess what? All of a sudden the light comes on and you realize something. Your life is not about you. Your life is about God. Your life is not about you and your glory. Your life is about God and his glory. In other words, at the end of the day, nothing's about you. I'm going to say that again. At the end of the day, nothing is about you. It is all about God. It's, there's nothing about you and your glory, your happiness, your desires, your fulfillment. That's not what life is all about. It's all about God and his glory. So Paul said, 
hey, whether you're eating or drinking, whether you're working or playing, whether you're talking or listening, behind everything you do should be the glory of God. Now, that raises the question I want to answer today. How do you do that? How do you glorify God in everything you do? Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, how do you glorify God? And how do we make sure that we give the glory to God that God desires and God demands and God deserves? Well, I want to suggest three ways. Number one, we should recognize God's glory. The first step to giving God glory is we need to recognize God's glory. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little bit contradictory, but just hang with me. In one real sense, you don't give God glory. You say, wait a minute, you just said we're to give God glory. Yes, you are, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in one sense, you really can't give God glory. What I mean by that is, what I'm saying is, well, if you don't give God glory, does that mean God won't have any glory? Absolutely not. God's going to have glory whether you give it to him or not. Here's why. God is glory. God is glorious. God doesn't need you to give him glory in order for him to have glory. Now, we have to give each other glory. We have to give other people glory. If we want glory, we've got to gain glory. But, but God is glorious. Let me give you an illustration. Think about a king. You walk into a palace, and, and you approach the throne, and there's the king on the throne. And, and here's the king wearing, wearing his kingly robes, and there's the king wearing that crown on his head. Well, what would you do? You would bow, and you would give the king glory. However, let's say that that same king were to take off his crown and were to take off those robes. He would get off the throne. He puts on the clothes of a beggar. He, he puts on a, a lot of makeup, changes his appearance. He walks into the street. Nobody recognizes him. Nobody knows who he is. He sits down next to a beggar. You would never know the difference between the beggar and the king. You wouldn't bow down and give either one of them glory, even though he is the king. Why? Because the king does not have glory in and of himself. It's only when he's wearing the crown. It's where he's wearing the robes. It's when he's sitting on the throne. That's when you say, okay, now I give you glory. Here's another example. A man or a woman put on a, a judicial robe, and they sit behind a, judici jud a judicial desk in a courtroom. Now, at that moment, they have the glory of a judge. But when that judge takes off his robe and gets in his car to drive home, he's just another guy. Or, for example, a police officer, he's in uniform. He's wearing the badge. When he's got that uniform on and he's wearing the badge, he has the glory of a police officer. Take off the badge and take off the uniform. He's just another person, right? Nobody has glory in and of themselves. Here's the difference. God never takes off the uniform. God never abdicates the throne. God never takes the crown off of his head. Now, he is not God because of the throne or the crown or the robe. He has a throne and a robe and a crown because he is God. And the point I'm making is God and his glory are inseparable. He's just glorious. He just has glory. It's intrinsic to his, na to his nature. So in, in one sense, you really can't give God glory as if you don't give it and he will not have it. Glory is as essential to God as light is to the sun, as uh, blue is to the sky, as wet is to water. For example, now some of you can figure this out, right? You don't have to make water wet. Everybody understand that? It's just wet. 
you don't have to get up in the morning and paint the sky blue. It's just blue. You don't have to get a bunch of AA batteries and give light to the sun. It's just light. And in one sense, you can't give God glory because God is glory. As a matter of fact, you know what he's called over and over and over in the Bible? He's called the God of glory. Our job is to recognize his glory. Let me give you this illustration. Let's just imagine the world had never been created. Let's imagine that you and I had never been created. So the world's not here, we're not here, nobody is here, nothing is here. As a matter of fact, let's imagine that no angels had never been created, all right? So there's no world, there's no universe, there's no us, there's no angels, there's no church, there is nothing except God, all right? Do you understand what I'm about to say now? God would still be a God of glory. God would still have glory. Therefore, that means we cannot add anything to his glory, and we cannot subtract anything from his glory. He is forever glorious, and forever is glorious. However, there was a king by the name of David who knew what it was to give glory to the king of kings, and David said these words. He said, ascribe to the Lord, that is, you give to the Lord, you push to the Lord, you make sure you, you, you um, um, uh, express yourself to the Lord, the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Well, again, that begs the question, wait a minute. If God already has glory, how do you give him glory? Well, I'll tell you one thing we just did. You give God glory by and recognize his glory by worshiping him and praising him and exalting him and honoring him and singing to him and giving to him and testifying to him. You see, one of the reasons why when we sing, everybody ought to sing is because you glorify God when you sing. One reason why when we give, everybody ought to give is because when you give, you glorify him. One reason we ought to testify, if we get a chance to testify, is because when you do that, you glorify him. Which, by the way, just another reminder, we say this ever so often, it's just a reminder, our worship is not about us. Our worship is about him. And what should really matter to us is not how we worship. I can worship in any setting. I can do contemporary. I can do traditional. I can do Southern gospel. I mean, this way, I can worship anywhere. Because it's not the how, it is the why. Worship is not about us and our preferences. It's about him and his glory. So whenever I walk into a church, I don't consider, oh, so you do this style or you do that style or you do this style. I just have one question. Does this worship bring glory to God? And the first way that we glorify God is by recognizing his glory. Got it? All right. Here's the second way we glorify God. We should not only recognize God's glory, we should reflect God's glory. So listen to that verse again. Paul said, so whether you eat or drink, I still think that's kind of just strange to me in a way. But he said, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, the point is, what's Paul saying? He's saying, look, even a simple mundane activity like eating and drinking, even something simple like that can be done with the glory of God in mind. So here's a statement I want to make, and if you'll get this and start living it, your life's going to never, never going to be the same. You ready? The why 
behind everything you do should be for the glory of God. If you do anything, I don't care how good it is, I don't care how beneficial it is, I don't care how well-meaning it is, if you do anything you do except for the glory of God, it is a waste of your time. If I preach any message for any other reason than for God to be glorified, it would be better if I never preached at all. That ought to be my one motivation. I want to glorify him. You know, I read the other day that the average person takes 23,000 breaths every day. Can you imagine that? When you get up in the morning, you're going to breathe in and out 23,000 times. I read that and I thought to myself, you know what? Lord, today I'm going to breathe in and out 23,000 times. Every breath I take ought to be for the glory of God. Every breath I take in, every breath I breathe out ought to be for the glory of God. How different, let me just ask you an honest question. How different would your life be on a daily basis? How different would your life be on a daily basis if you were asking two questions? You were always asking two questions before you said anything, before you did anything, before you ate or drank anything, before you went anywhere. How would your life be different if before you did something, said something, went somewhere, whatever it is, if you asked these two questions? Does this glorify God? And number two, how can I make this glorify God? Does this glorify God? And how can I make this glorify God? Can I be honest? I think maybe for some of you, even yesterday, some things would have radically changed in your life. If before you did what you did or said what you said or went where you went, you said to yourself, does this glorify God and how can I make this glorify God? Because by the way, earlier in this letter, Paul said this. He said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So why should we always give glory to God? We were made by him. Paul said we were made for him. And our flashlight is always to be on him. And we're to shine our light not only for him, but on him so others can see him. Everything Paul said you do should be done to reflect his glory. I, I read a book not long ago by Tiger Woods. And uh, it, it, was, it was about the, the first time he won the Masters. In fact, it was 20 years ago this year, believe it or not, hard to believe. But in 1997, he won, won the Masters for the first time. Well, in that book, he talks about the death of his dad. And, and he was talking about the funk that it put him in. And he wasn't playing very good golf. As a matter of fact, after his dad died, he, something happened, never happened to him before. He missed a cut in a major. His dad died, and the next tournament was the U.S. Open. He didn't make the cut. He had never failed to make the cut in any major until his dad died, and he was just in a funk. But he got out of that funk because he said he finally realized why he wasn't playing very well. Now, I want you to listen to what Tiger Woods said. I hadn't competed since the Masters in April 2006, where I finished three shots behind Phil Mickelson. And I realized I'd done something that Pop would never have approved. I played for somebody else, in this case, for him. Pop always told me to play only for myself. I learned a lesson, thanks as always to him. The lesson was simple. I should play only for myself. That broke my heart. 
Because, by the way, what he just said, that's the way most people live their life every day. I'm going to live life for myself. I'm making money for myself. I do what I do for myself. My happiness, my welfare, my self-fulfillment comes first. It's more important than anything else, anybody else. It's more important than God himself. With due respect, Tiger was wrong, and that's wrong. We should never do anything just for ourselves. You should never eat just for yourself, drink just for yourself, live for, just for yourself. Matter of fact, I'm just going to make it real plain. I don't care if you're playing putt-putt or playing the U.S. Open. You ought to do it for the glory of God. All of it should be for his glory. Because, see, here's where we've missed the boat. And I, I have to be honest, I'm not knocking anybody, but I hear people say this on TV sometimes, they imply it on TV, and it just makes my stomach churn. God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of God. God doesn't exist. He didn't put you here so he could make a big deal out of you. He put us here so we could make a big deal out of him. Because life's not about me. And life is not about you. It's all about him. My job's real simple. Every day, I am to reflect the glory of God. I'll give you an illustration we see every night. Think about the moon. You ever thought about what the moon does? The moon doesn't do anything. It doesn't generate any light. It doesn't shine on its own. As a matter of fact, if you took the sun away, the moon would be nothing more than a dark, black, pockmarked rock. But when the moon is perfectly positioned to the sun, what does the moon do? It glows. It shines. The moon does what it was created to do. You know what the moon was created to do? It was created to do one thing, to reflect the light and the glory of the sun. Likewise, you know why we're put on this planet? You know why we're here? To reflect the glory of God's sun. That's my job. That's my role. Lord, I just want to reflect your glory. So the way we live, the words we say, the things we do, the places we go, the people we are, it is to reflect God's glory. And my goal and your goal should be every day when you get up and get out of your bed, you ought to say, God, just for today, I want to live in such a way that other people will see your glory in me and see your glory with me and see your glory through me. Lord, let me live in such a way today that I don't deflect your glory, I reflect your glory. So we are to recognize God's glory. And then we are to reflect God's glory. But then there's one other thing I want to point out. We should receive God's glory. That's kind of an interesting concept. We should receive God's glory. Now, that may sound like a strange thing to say. You say, wait a minute. If we're supposed to give God glory, how is it possible to receive his glory? How do you even know you can do that? I know it because of something that Jesus said in that same chapter we quoted back in John earlier in the message. Jesus said this. this is, I bet this is one of those things you've never thought about before. Jesus says, he's talking to his heavenly father. He said, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Really? You gave Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Thomas, etc. You gave them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. And by the way, he wasn't just talking to, the, to those 11 disciples. He was talking to everyone who would ever become his, his disciple. Right? Now think about this. Jesus said, if you become my disciple, you will receive the glory of God. All right, let's watch this now. 
So in order to receive the glory of God, you have to become his disciple. And how do you become his disciple? By believing in him and loving him and obeying him. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You receive God's glory when you receive God's self. And you cannot begin to give God glory until you give your life to his son, Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? You can never begin to give God the glory that he desires until you give your life to his son. By the way, Paul wrote something else to another church in another place called Philippi, and he made this statement. Some of you may remember it. He said, therefore, God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, so one day Paul said, everybody, everybody, popes, presidents, professors, dictators, potentates, police officers, presidents, governors, everybody is going to kneel and they're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. You cannot give glory to the God who made you until you give glory to the Son who came and died for you. In other words, nothing gives God more glory than when you give your life to Jesus. Nothing glorifies God more than when you give your life to Jesus. Because when you give the Son of God your life, the Son of God gives you His glory. And that's why you were put on this planet. You were put here to glorify God. And the first step in glorifying God is to give your life to the Son of God that God sent for you. And that's what breaks my heart about people. And that's why I don't want to break our heart for people that we know, people we live next door to people we're kin to, people we work with, it ought to break our heart that they don't know the Jesus that we know because they're not here for the purpose for which they were made. I read something fascinating the other day about duct tape. It blew my mind about duct tape. Now, I don't know much about duct tape because Teresa, she fix, she's a fixer-upper. I break it, she fixes it, okay? And so she knows a lot about duct tape. One thing she always has around the house is duct tape. I don't know much about it, but I'll tell you what I learned the other day that fascinated me. You know, duct tape, it, you know, can be used to repair just about anything. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you there are very few households in America that don't have duct tape. They may not even have a TV. They're going to have duct tape. Everybody's got duct tape, right? So I was reading this about duct tape the other day. And a recent study showed, now listen to this, duct tape doesn't really succeed at fulfilling the purpose for which duct tape was created. Now I want you to hear this. This blew me away. Scientists at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in California found out that duct tape is a terrible product for sealing ductwork. Did you hear that? Duct tape is a terrible product for sealing ductwork. They found that duct tape almost always failed to do what it was supposed to do. As a matter of fact, approximately 30% of the hot or cold air generated in the average home is lost in the attic or lost in the wall space because of poorly sealed ducts. So you can take a duct tape. You can take duct tape. You can do a lot of things. You can tape up a bicycle seat. You can seal off a leaky radiator hose. You can secure a broken window. You can even keep an alligator's mouth shut with duct tape, which is why I love duct tape. Anything you can do to hurt a gator, do it. But, 
can't depend on duct tape, it still does. Now, what's the point? I don't care what else you do in this life, and I don't care how well you do it. I don't care how high you climb whatever ladder you're trying to get to. If you do not give your life to Jesus Christ, you will never fulfill the purpose for which you were created. If you never give your life to Jesus, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how famous you become. I don't care how many people ask for your autograph. I don't care how many nice cars you get to drive or how many nice clothes you get to wear. If you do not give your life to Jesus Christ, you will never fulfill the purpose for which you were created. I was over <clears throat> several months ago. I took a group to, to Greece, and we went to Ephesus. We were looking at biblical sites. And so our, one of our stop-off places was Vienna. I, I, you know, most of our folks have never been to Vienna. And, you know, Vienna has the world-famous orchestra there. And so when you're in Vienna, one of the things you talk about are the great composers of classical music. Well, we were talking, I was talking to the guide about Johann Sebastian Bach. You know, Bach is to classical music what Shakespeare is to English literature, what Isaac Newton is to physics. He wrote 256 cantatas, by the way, including one you hear at almost every wedding. Think about that one music you know you're hearing at every wedding. Bach wrote that, whether you knew that or not, he did. But what made Bach so great in my eyes and why I'm so fascinated by Bach, it was not what he wrote. And, and, and by the way, I don't know much about classical music, but I, I mean, I'm smart enough to know Bach was unbelievably great, maybe the greatest ever. But it wasn't what he wrote that gets my attention. It's not what he wrote that makes me so fascinated by this man. It's why he wrote it. Because here's what a lot of people don't know that listen to his music. His music was not just music. His music were actually prayers before they were songs. And I mean that literally. Before Bach, listen to this, before Bach would score a sheet of music, at the very top of that sheet, he would scrawl these letters. J period, J period, dot, Yesu Yuva. What does that mean? It's a prayer. It means, Jesus, help me. Always notice at the top, little, Jesus, help me. And here's what I love. Every time he completed any composition of music, in the margin of the music at the bottom, he would write three letters, S-V-G. You know what those letters stood for? They stood for the Latin phrase, soli deo gloria, translating to the glory of God alone. Bach said, I didn't write this music so I would be applauded by the masses. I didn't write this music so people would still be talking about me hundreds of years after I'm gone. I didn't write this music so I would get the reputation as maybe the greatest composer of classical music of all time. That is not why I did what I did. I did it all for the glory of God. That's what made him such a hero in my eyes. And so I just want to say this. If you have no burning desire in your heart to glorify the God that made you, you not only believe in the wrong God, that is, if you believe in God at all, you're living the wrong life. You believe in the wrong God and you're living the wrong life. Because listen, there are only two groups of beings in the universe that will not voluntarily glorify God. Only two. 
rebellious people and rebellious angels. They're the only people in the universe that refuse to give God his glory. That's why in eternity they'll be separated from the God of glory because here's, listen, think about this. If you have no desire to give God glory on this life, you won't have any desire to give God glory in the next life. And so God says, okay, you don't want to glorify me here, then you don't want to glorify me there. So here, here's my next thing. I want, I, I want to kind of review. And I was thinking, as I, even, as I, even this morning, I got up early and I was thinking, Lord, I don't, I, this is one of those series. I don't want, this just, I don't want our people to forget it. I, 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 don't want it just, I want it to hang in the air for a while. I said, okay, Lord, what, what's the next step? What, what, what can, what, how can we really put this series into practice? And it hit me. I'm going to say something some of you are not going to believe. You think it's just positive thinking hype, and I'm just telling you, I really believe it. I believe in a real sense, every day can be the best day of your life. And I believe every day you can be the best you of your life. Say, okay, I'm all in. How can I make every day the best day of my life? No matter what's happening, how can I make it the best day of my life? And how can I be the best me I can be every day of my life? You ready? Just give God those four things every day. Every day. So, beginning today, I'm going to ask you, beginning today, begin your day. When you get up out of bed, I did it this morning. Begin your day by saying the following to God. Today, Lord, just for today, I will believe you completely. Lord, just for today, I will love you supremely. No matter what you say, I'm going to take your word for it and live as if it's true. And Lord, today, I'm not going to love anything or anybody more than I love you. Thirdly, I will obey you totally. If you say it, I'm going to do it. And then fourthly, I will glorify you totally. I will glorify you. Actually, it should say continuously. I will glorify you continuously. I will obey you totally. I will glorify you continuously. Now, we wrap this up. I got up early this morning, I had, and I was late to church today, I had to change my message. Let me tell you why I had to change it. Because of something that happened yesterday. Yesterday, I got a chance to glorify God in a way that I didn't ask for. And I really didn't want. So yesterday evening, Felicia and I went to the grocery store. We had to have some groceries. So we went to the grocery store. And so we, we were walking out of the grocery store, and I'm pushing the buggy. And I'm walking to my car, and, and I notice there's a mother and a daughter, and they're standing right beside my car. And they're kind of looking at my car. And the mother has this real worried look on her face, and the daughter looked like she was about to cry. Well, the mom looked at me as I got up to her, and, and she said, excuse me, is this your car? And somehow something said to me, this is not going to be good. This is just not going to be good. And I said, well, yes, ma'am. I said, uh, it's, it's my car. She said, well, my daughter just got her permit, and she hasn't been driving very long. And then I didn't just guess it wasn't going to be good. I knew this was not going to be good. Okay, this is not going to be good. Well, she pointed to my left rear panel. And let me just say it had, gone, it had undergone an extreme makeover from the time that I had gone into the grocery store. And then the mother said, well, my, my daughter was backing up, 
and, and she kind of cut too close. And then I looked over, the little girl's 15 years old, and she began to just, you can tell she's about to lose it. She starts apologizing. Oh, I am so, I am so, so sorry. Please forgive me. I, I, I didn't mean to do it. I just, I, I thought I had room, but I, I didn't have room, and I just started driving, and, and then she said this, made me feel so bad. And she said, I haven't even told my dad yet. I, I am so sorry. So I looked at her, and I said, look, if this is the worst thing that happens to us, it's a great day. It's, it's, it, it is a great day. Well, the mom, you could tell, she didn't want to call the dad. She could, you could tell she's just nervous. I said, look, get dad on the phone. I need to talk to him. I'll talk to him. Tell dad, really, he hit my car. If I'm not upset about my car, he should be upset about my car. And I'm not upset about my car. So, you know, we called and we, you know, exchanged uh, information. And then I said, uh, hey, by the way, I said, uh, you guys attend church anywhere? No, we don't. I said, really? I said, I gave, gave, got my, pulled, pulled my sure card out. And I said, look, I said, um, I pastor a church. And I said, uh, this is where, I said, where's your campus? I said, we had our campuses. I said, this is where, you know, I pastor. I said, love to have you come. But I said, more importantly, I said, she, cause I, they, they were, had to go. I said, look, I know you got to leave. I said, just read the message on that little card because that message will radically change your life. Well, again, the girl started, I said, look, hun, it's all good. I gave her a big hug. I hugged the mom and Teresa hugged and it was, had a big group hug and, uh, you know, got that out of the way. And as they started to leave, I said, hey, honey, can I just give you one piece of advice? She said, yes, sir. I said, if you ever hit anyone again, make sure it's a pastor. Now, <laughs> last night, we got a text from this young lady. We're laying in bed and we got a text. Teresa said, hey, I don't recognize this number. It's this little, it's this 15-year-old girl. She was thanking us. She said, thank you for being so kind. Thank you for being understanding, you know, just real nice about it. Well, we texted her back. First of all, I thanked them for being honest. I said, you know, a lot of people just would have taken off. I really thanked them for being honest. And then here's how I close the text. We close by saying, we always want to glorify Jesus in all that we do. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a hero. I'm not. Okay, I'm really not. I'm sure most of you have done the same thing. I'm just simply saying, if you really make a commitment to do those four things, here's what will happen. God will give you plenty of opportunities every day to do those four things. He'll give you a chance to believe him. He'll give you a chance to love him. He'll give you a chance to obey him, and he'll give you a chance to glorify him. So I want to wrap this up. Here's what I want to tell you. You can do a lot of things on this earth. You can be successful. You can become famous. You can get rich. You can be able, you maybe even get monuments built in your honor. You can have streets and bridges named after you. You can do a lot of things that will get you a lot of glory from other people. But at the end of the day, the only way your life or my life will matter at all is if we lived it to the glory of God. Let's pray together.